Welcome to the WFO Life Podcast. Buckle up for interviews, insights, and practical discussions, and the occasional intellectual oddity, all designed to help you master self, master craft, and accomplish any life mission. This is the WFO Life Podcast on Leadership, Episode 2 with Lieutenant Colonel Story. Today is the 75th anniversary of the landing at Iwo Jima. And so I thought it would be fitting to read a Medal of Honor citation by one of the only uh, living Medal of Honor recipients uh, from that invasion and uh, somebody that I met a couple years ago uh, as part of the Marine Corps Marathon. Citation. The President of the United States, in the name of Congress, takes pleasure in presenting the Medal of Honor to Corporal Herschel Woody Williams, United States Marine Corps, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty as demolition sergeant serving with the 1st Battalion, 21st Marines, 3rd Marine Division in action against enemy Japanese forces on Iwo Jima, Volcano Island, 23 February 1945. Quick to volunteer his services when our tanks were maneuvering vainly to open a lane for the infantry through the network of reinforced concrete pillboxes, buried mines, and black volcanic sands, Corporal Williams daringly went forward alone to attempt the reduction of, de- of devastating machine gun fire from the unyielding positions. Covered only by four riflemen, he fought desperately for four hours under terrific enemy small arms fire and repeatedly returned to his own lines to prepare demolition charges and obtain serviced flamethrowers. Struggling back frequently to the rear of hostile emplacements to wipe out one position after another. On one occasion, he daringly mounted a pillbox to insert the nozzle of his flamethrower through the air vent, kill the occupants, and silence the gun. On another, he grimly charged enemy riflemen who attempted to stop him with bayonets and destroyed them with a burst of flame from his weapon. His unyielding determination and extraordinary heroism in the face of ruthless enemy resistance were directly instrumental in neutralizing one of the most fanatically defended Japanese strong points encountered by his regiment and aided in enabling his company to reach its objective. Corporal Williams' aggressive fighting spirit and valiant devotion to duty throughout the fiercely contested action sustained and enhanced the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. So with that thought in mind, we're going to continue our discussion uh, that we started a few weeks ago uh, talking about the traits and principles uh, that we study that enable uh, and support some incredible uh, accomplishments uh, similar to what we just heard from Woody Williams. So um, one of the, uh, the traits that I didn't cover last time uh, was justice. And so justice, when we talk about leadership, means giving reward and punishment uh, according to the merits uh, of the case in question or what's going on. And the ability to administer a system of rewards and punishments uh, impartially and consistently. The reason why that's significant is the quality of displaying fairness and impartiality is critical to gain the trust and respect of subordinates and maintain discipline and cohesion, particularly in the exercise of responsibilities. Uh, So how is this important? Um, 
beyond obviously the military aspect is what we're trying to go for. Um, and really when you think about in a work environment, one of the reasons why justice is so important is because if you maintain a environment of justice and if you're in a leadership or management position and you dole out rewards and punishment according to the merits, uh, you have harmony and you have order. And then no one can uh, accuse management or leadership of playing favorites because it's clear that it's justice is being served and, and it's fair and impartial based on a case-by-case basis. So this may seem simple and straightforward, but it's difficult because everybody has um, subordinates, uh, peers, other co-workers that they just personally like more than other people. And it's really hard to maintain uh, that justice and fairness because uh, you're going to obviously err on the side of uh, giving uh, preferential treatment to somebody you're more friendly with, even if it's a a subordinate, uh, especially when it's a peer or other co-worker. You you may take up for them uh, when it shouldn't be warranted. So uh, obviously justice seems straightforward. But in a lot of cases, it's easier said than done. The next trait we'll cover is dependability. So dependability is straightforward. Uh, It's the certainty that a duty is going to be performed. And the reason why that's important is that it it permits a, a supervisor or a senior to assign a task to a subordinate or a junior with the understanding that will be accomplished with minimal to no supervision. So it's highly important that uh, both as an employee uh, and as a supervisor that you're dependable because when you think about it, um, without dependability, everything has to be micromanaged. So if you don't have a certainty uh, or I guess a knowledge that something's going to be performed without having to follow up on it every time. Uh, it's in a, a tremendous amount of wasted effort and time, both for uh, the person executing to uh, check in all the time or uh, redo uh, work, and then also for a supervisor to uh, have to continually uh, follow up to make sure that um, you know what was assigned is, is going to be completed. It's difficult because dependability is not always something that's inherent, um, depending on the background of yourself or an individual. Uh, A lot of times I think that uh, one of the things that helped me is having jobs at an early age and uh, primarily outside the home. Uh, Not that uh, assigning chores and things like that doesn't help, but I think, um, you know, having jobs, you know, when you're 16 years old and, and up and, and even working some through college, uh, I think helps because um, I think we see it in the Marine Corps. Uh, sometimes kids, um, you know, even though they're adults, uh, you know, haven't had a lot of responsibility, uh, whether that be jobs, either inside the home or outside the home. So um, the only way that you're going to develop that is just like any other skill. So I think that, um, you know, encouraging you know, whether you're, this is from a parent's perspective, your kids to be involved in activities and sports, 
getting jobs when they're in high school, things like that, you know, develop that, that dependabil- dependability. The next trait we're going to cover is initiative. So initiative is taking action in the absence of specific orders or directions. So significance in that is uh, since a supervisor uh, often works with close supervision, uh, emphasis is placed on being a self-starter. And uh, initiative is obviously a founding principle uh, of Marine Corps warfighting philosophy. And you heard a lot of that in the, uh, the Medal of Honor citation. And that becomes a a force multiplier uh, multiplier and a powerful thing in your household powerful thing in your business when you know you have a general intent uh, like we talked about in the last uh in leadership volume one that uh you know having a clear vision and mission uh, in anything you're doing an overarching principle uh is helpful because it um has that what we would call implicit communication and initiative is part of that. So if you have, you know, vision and goals um, at the uh, the lowest levels uh, that builds up to an overall vision and mission, then you're going to have an organization that has a lot more initiative, a lot more implicit communication because everybody understands uh, what's at stake and uh, what their role is. And so initiative is a uh, definitely a force multiplier um, in families uh, in organizations, uh, and in the military. Similar to what we did in, in leadership uh, number one, uh, we talked about uh, a few of the traits. Now we're going to move on to uh, principles. And if you recall, uh, the traits are individual words. Uh, and went over some of the definitions, but uh, the, uh, the principles are a little more involved. So uh, the next one we're going to cover is uh, being technically proficient. Uh, So somebody who's technically proficient uh, knows their job thoroughly and possesses a wide field of knowledge. Uh, Obviously, before you can lead, you have to know the job. Tactical and technical competence can be learned from books and on-the-job training. Develop this, uh, this principle of being technically and tactically proficient. You should obviously know what's expected of you and spend time and energy becoming proficient at those things. So a lot of times when you're new at a job, whether uh, you're in a leadership position or not, uh, it's difficult to find time to do this. And and a lot of times getting up early or uh, working on things at home or staying late is what's required. But obviously uh, spending time and energy on becoming more technical is an investment in, in your future. And, and forming an attitude early on that you're seeking to learn more than is necessary uh, sets a good example of you know uh, what you expect for yourself and other people. Um, another thing you can do to become more technically proficient is just uh, closely observe and study the actions of people that you respect. On the flip side of that, uh, if you see something you definitely uh, don't want to emulate, make a note of that too. But uh, obviously, observing and studying the actions of, of uh, capable leaders is, is a good way to do it. Um, and another thing you can do is prepare yourself for the job uh, of the next higher rank, we would say, in the military. But if you see somebody uh, next level up from you, 
uh, a good way to prepare for promotion is to see what they know and how they do things and, and be prepared to accept that uh, higher level responsibility. You hear about a lot in the um, in the NFL, you know, you know, a sport that has a lot of injuries, the next man up philosophy. And uh, don't underestimate yourself because I've seen in both um, civilian and military organizations, when you least expect it, you know, somebody will leave, somebody will uh, retire, uh, things happen, so be prepared. And one of the ways you can do that is, is being technically proficient. Um, it's difficult to do, but also seeking feedback from superiors peers and subordinates. Uh, not always the most comfortable thing, especially if you don't think you're doing well, but obviously you'd rather find out on your own volition than wait till a uh, performance review to find out you're, you're not cutting the mustard. So, um, Next uh, principle is uh, knowing your people and looking out for their welfare. So this is one of the most uh, important, I think, leadership principles. Um, for obvious reasons, but I think sometimes we can get too caught up, whether it's a military mission or um, in the business world, uh, profit motives um, or just selfish motives that, um, you know, we're not taking time to know the people around us and looking out for their welfare. So uh, a leader, you know, has to make a, a conscious effort to observe uh, people uh, around them in the workplace and, and how they react to different situations. So uh, somebody who's nervous and lacks self-confidence uh, should never be put in a situation uh, where an important decision uh, has to be made. So you need to know them and, and help prepare for them. So you don't want to set them up for failure. So uh, the sink or swim mentality uh, rarely works. And, uh, you know, this knowledge will enable you uh, as a leader to determine uh when close supervision is required, and then you know when you can let the reins off and give them a chance to excel. So, uh, to put this into practice, a lot of times um, you should obviously look out for um, if you're in a leadership position, especially you know, put others' welfare uh, before your own. Uh, obviously, uh, not always the easiest thing to do, especially if um, the junior person does something that's uh, screw up. It's obviously their fault. Um, you, you know, in some cases, the the knee jerk reaction is to you know just blame them. But as a leader, as a true leader and a and a good supervisor, what you're going to do is take responsibility for that and say, hey, I need to train that person better, and uh, you know not put them in situations where they're not going to excel. Um, a way that you can do that to get to know your people better and look out for their welfare is to be approachable yourself. Um, uh, because obviously nobody wants to have the boss always yelling at them when, when you go to them for help. So some people's personality doesn't always lend itself to that. So uh, try to be approachable and uh, encourage those uh, individuals under your charge to you know do their own individual development. Um, uh, a difficult thing to do, too, is to uh, keep an overall gauge on the morale and uh, kind of the, the mental attitude of what's going on. So um, usually there's a couple thermometers or gauges uh, in the group, people that uh, naturally don't have a filter or people that, you know, you know, already trust you and you trust them. So getting a gauge of what's going on and uh, having a constant gut feeling for you know, what's going right and what's not going so right. So um, and another thing is uh, we alluded to it in uh, 
you know, one of the, tr the, uh, the, what was it? Uh, one of the traits earlier, you know, talking about the, um, fair and equal distributions of rewards and punishments. Obviously one of the first things that can, um, you know, seem that you're not looking out for the welfare of the people around you is to, you know, not be fair and equitable of, uh, you know, doling out recognition. Uh, last thing I'll cover on this part is just, uh, you know, provide, you know, ample time for, um, you know, recreational activities, whether that be as a group or, uh, you know, making sure people aren't burning the candle at both ends. Because obviously if you uh, have a good gauge on, you know, your people and looking out for their welfare, you're going to know where they're uh, overworked. And some of them are naturally workaholics, so you got to gauge that too because uh, that's going to be difficult on their, their personal relationships as well. Next principle, keeping your people informed. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of organizations have people, uh, really any organization, uh, folks want to be informed or inquisitive. Uh, you know, so to promote uh, efficiency, morale, uh, you should always keep people informed of, of what's going on and give reasons why things are done. Uh, I know sometimes when you're growing up, especially if you have the disciplinarian type parents uh, like I did, uh, they didn't always love it when you questioned why, but uh, that same type of uh, discipline doesn't go over well uh, when you're leading a unit or an organization. So uh, you always want to, especially if it's controversial or you know a big change in policy, you want to give people the why behind it. Uh, there's a uh, really good book, uh, and I had a chance to hear him speak and talk to him a little bit, uh, uh, called First Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And uh, he's got a... Uh, a really cool principle and it's visual that you can see in there called the golden circle uh, and the center of that circle uh, is why so uh, in the outer part of the circle and I encourage you to, to google this and you know just look up the pictures it's really simple but uh, on the outer circle uh, I guess most basically most employees most people can sit, tell you what they do uh, as you move into the inner circle uh, maybe a fewer, uh, smaller group of people can tell you how they do what they do and articulate it well. And uh, at the core of the golden circle is why. So that's the most important thing. So uh, what you do, how you do it's important, but the reason behind, you know, why you're doing that job, why you want to work there is really important. So by the same token, explain to your Marines uh, why you're doing something is, uh, is very important for uh, morale and uh, long-term success. So um, obviously um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but uh, keeping them informed makes them feel they're a part of the team, you know, not just some, uh, you know, unimportant uh, piece of the organization. So uh, the key to giving out information is to make sure uh, that they have enough, uh, you know, information to do their job intelligently uh, but, but uh, you know, not be too prescriptive uh, on everything we're doing and, uh, you know, allow them to show their initiative, enthusiasm and uh, act on their own conviction. So uh, some ways to apply this is whenever possible, explain, you know, um, 
exactly why things must be done and what the plan is to accomplish the task. So uh, one of the things to be aware of is, um, you know, look out for the rumor mill. So that's a good way to uh, know if the information is not getting out uh, like it should. So uh, stop rumors uh, by replacing them with the truth as soon as possible and uh, don't let it fester. So um, one of the things, especially if there's a rumor or the uh, maybe even not necessarily you, but other uh, supervisors or peers uh, appear to be hiding information. So if you start uh, being more open and publicize information uh, concerning successes or even failures, then you can you know, build that trust uh, amongst your people. So um, it's uh, it's really important. Uh, it seem, seems straightforward, but I know we've all worked in organizations where you feel like, uh, you know, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, and uh, nobody knows what the hell's going on. So, not good. The last thing I think I'm going to cover tonight, um, along the leadership thing, is an important concept that uh, I learned early on, uh, known as friction. So, that word can be used in a lot of different ways, but uh, I think an absence of leadership and uh, not being conscious of the traits and principles you're development, developing can definitely cause uh, friction. So um, defined by, as we like to joke about, old dead Germans, uh, one of them, uh, Clausewitz, um, you know, collectively in, in his terminology, uh, friction is, is described as the force that makes the apparently easy so difficult. Friction is the force that resists all action and saps energy. It makes the simple difficult and the difficult seemingly impossible. So when you have a complex organization, uh, sometimes that can be your immediate family. Uh, that's definitely defined uh, well there, saying that you know uh, when you have friction in the things you're trying to do, uh, it can make the simple very difficult and the difficult seemingly impossible. So anybody who's, tr who's tried to get their uh, kids out the door on a tight schedule early in the morning or when they didn't get enough rest or where somebody's not feeling good, you can definitely experience friction. So uh, a lot of the, the things that we're talking about, both in the leadership uh, number one and number two, is you're building the foundation uh, to create harmony, uh, which in some cases is really the opposite of friction. So, um, you know, friction is going to be inherent in life just like it is in war. And uh, the way we can avoid it is by building in some quality in the things that we do. Um, and, uh, you know, friction can be mental, um, uh, you know, as in, you know, being indecisive of, of what to do. And it can be, it can be physical, you know, and in terms of, um, you know, the military, uh, you know, dealing with uh, effective enemy fire, uh, terrain or obstacle that may be overcome. So uh, uh, it can be, in that case, external or it can be internal, especially when you talk about the, the mental aspect of it, that you're uh, imposing self-induced uh, friction by a uh, series of factors. And I know uh, Dr. Curtis and I, I really want to have probably a whole series also dedicated uh, to uh, Stoic philosophy because a lot of um, 
you know, things that are uh, in our head or self-induced are solely within our control. So, uh, and sometimes that's, that's even more scary to know that, hey, you know, a lot of the things that are causing uh, friction in our lives are solely within our control. You know, are we not getting enough rest, not because we're working too hard, but because we're wasting time. Uh, so, Sometimes, you know, lack of clearly defined goals, you know, some, a lack of coordination, uh, unclear, uncomplicated, you know, life or work plans, um, you know, trying to get too uh, complex with, with the tasks and, uh, you know, dealing even with complicated technology that's unnecessary or a lot of things that can just create uh, friction in a lot of different forms. So uh, knowing that, uh, you know, just like war, uh, running a business, running a family is inherently a human enterprise. Uh, fix, friction will always have like a psychological as well as a physical impact on what we do. So the more we can, you know, forward invest on, um, you know, uh, putting money in the bank on our leadership traits and principles, we can avoid friction and uh, have a higher likelihood uh, to be more effective. So um, I think I'm going to leave it at that for tonight. But I really want to get a lot of these things uh, down recorded so you can use them as a reference and uh, make them simple, digestible. Uh, you can seek out more resources, uh, especially from the Marine Corps, you know, leadership traits and principles. There's all different types of training uh, that you can easily download and, and study and uh, use these for your own team. So uh, just I want to leave you with, uh, you know, remember that... Uh, you, you know, like I said early on, this is the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Iwo Jima. So a lot of books and movies dedicated uh, to that. And, uh, you know, as a uh, famous World War II admiral said that uh, on Iwo Jima, uncommon valor was a common virtue. And so I, I suggest, uh, you know, do research and reading on the incredible examples uh, that they set and uh, how we can do things that are uncommon in our own lives, even if it's on a smaller scale. Thanks. Out.